0: You know, try to make sure that you're set up sustainably for the longer term.
1: Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 60, and today's guest is Kyle Widrick. Kyle is the founder and CEO of Win Brands Group, an omnichannel retail platform that buys and builds category-defining brands. The team at Win is looking for brands that are category leaders and ones where Win can bring their experience to help drive growth and continued profitability. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kyle Widrick. Kyle is the founder and CEO of Win Brands Group, an omnichannel retail platform that buys and builds category-defining brands. Wynn's enviable stable of brands includes Homesick, which is scented candles and home fragrance, Kalo, silicon wedding rings and accessories, Gravity, the original weighted blanket, and Love Your Melon, mission-driven outerwear. Kyle spent over a decade honing the art of consumer-focused venture capital and brand building, raising millions of dollars and building businesses responsible for employing hundreds of people in the process. His background includes working side-by-side with billionaire, serial entrepreneur, and branding guru, Jay Christopher Birch, as well as founding multiple best-in-class investment and marketing operations in the U.S. and abroad. Kyle, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate uh, you joining me today, and uh, you know I think that uh, as I mentioned to you, I think your story is is one that's really interesting, and especially for the folks that uh, you know have tended to listen to the show, it's it's kind of interesting. There's this early stage group of of people that listen uh, that ping me over time. I've done a lot of mentoring. Um, they are always interested in in hearing from folks you know like you uh, and then there's you know people that are a little bit more senior in their career um, either looking to make pivots in their own career or to learn from you know the people that we chat with so uh, I, I think you'll you'll hit uh, all the, uh, the the folks that listen. I always like to get started it helps to set the stage for people that are listening you know kind of your first story where you grew up um, anything in your life that might have uh foreshadowed what you'd wind up doing in your career
0: sure thank you mark appreciate being here um i would say my background is a bit unique at least relative to folks that i end up spending time with professionally today um, i grew up in a very small town in upstate new york you know called 3000 people you know my dad actually was an entrepreneur you know to your question he had a building business so i got started really early with him. I was working with him when I was 14, 15. Um, I guess I got sick of working for him. So I took on other jobs. You know, I did every job from McDonald's to road construction to the supermarket overnight. You know, I liked making money. I liked having some income myself, even as a, a teen. And I guess that carried forward to, to starting businesses.
1: And, uh, school, uh, where did you go to school? So I ended up going to
0: Syracuse, which was actually kind of the closest uh, notable university to upstate. And my older brother went to Syracuse. He was an architecture major and kind of led the way. And I followed him to to Syracuse and did business.
1: And and you, you obviously went there because you were interested in basketball and you wanted a great college basketball program, right?
0: Say, well, the sports didn't hurt. When I when I first showed up, uh, they were still relatively strong in football. So this was uh, Donovan McNabb days. He was actually a senior when I was a freshman. And then my sophomore year to get into to sports for a little bit, that's when uh, Carmelo uh, Anthony was at Syracuse. And they won the championship my sophomore year. So that was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, well, I'm a Knicks fan. You know, we started uh, before the show, we were talking about the Mets. Uh, I'm a Knicks fan, too. And, uh, you know, Mello wasn't exactly what we were looking for at the time he became a Knicks uh, Knicks player.
0: Listen, he's he's had a great career, but uh, has not been able to produce anything close to championship in in the NBA. But I could tell you when he showed up at Syracuse you know, he brought in energy with him and brought a national championship his freshman year that we hadn't seen in in 20 plus years. So he was very well respected uh, on campus for that one brief year that he was there.
1: Yeah, I'm sure he was. Um, your first co-founder role was with a business, I believe, called Postgrad Apartments. Uh, what was that? And, and you know, uh, I, I can imagine how it came to be, but tell us.
0: Yeah, so I had uh, This is a throwback to postgrad. I had a few businesses before that that really didn't get much of any traction. Believe it or not, we had an idea um, that at the time we called Wondering Where that was similar to what Foursquare became. And we didn't have the right team, I guess, to make that work. Um, But postgrad, we did, we got off the ground, we were generating interest on college campus, um, and finding folks who were moving from college to a city. And ultimately, generating leads and then selling those leads to brokerages within major cities. So, um, you know, we built a good-sized business. We were on over 30 college campuses, um, generating leads to, to five cities. And we sold it actually to a strategic in the space. And that was my first, you know, positive outcome as, as an entrepreneur.
1: If you think back to, to building that business and kind of the experience you had, is there, are there one or two things that stood out that were much more difficult for you than you ever expected it would be?
0: I think everything's more difficult than you expect before you get into starting your own <laughs> business. I think there's an, uh, an aura and an allure of starting your own business and, and what that outcome produces but I think the road to get there is very challenging. Um, I think you know, what I learned a little bit later is the people involved and ultimately the funding involved to get you there have a dramatic impact on where you land. But that was even before I learned that. I mean, we had what was a good idea with a good team. Uh, we pressed forward with a lot of momentum and ended up getting an outcome, but it certainly is more challenging than you would think going in
1: yeah it, it, the one thing when i when i talk to people or even they bring it up themselves uh, especially early stage they talk about fundraising and and how that is so much it takes up so much more time than they ever expected and was much more difficult than they ever expected it to be
0: absolutely it's it's um especially if you're not you know traditionally networked and you have to go and find that network and sell into it you know, again, I was born into a, a family upstate that did not have any background in finance or fundraising. And I was fortunate, actually, you know, I was able to land at a, at a family office, a guy by the name of Chris Birch, and worked there for, you know, what ended up being six and a half years. And that really built up a strong network within the fundraising community. But before that, I had very little to any uh, access.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about uh, Birch Creative Capital. Um, and for the audience that may not know, Chris Birch is.
0: Chris Birch is, you know, one of the wildest guys you'll ever meet. Uh, number one, I think anyone that meets him has a similar uh, impression. Um, he's most well known today for being the co-founder of the Tory Birch fashion business. So, I met Chris and started working for him when he and Tory were still married and they ended up getting divorced, but they owned that business together. And, you know, having more experience in consumer products businesses now than I did then, you know, watching that business grow from zero to a $4 billion business uh, was remarkable. And really that had never happened in the history of fashion to go from zero to that size within a, a short 10 year period. Um, so really interesting learning and, you know, access for me to have uh, during my time
1: with Chris. Is there one or two things that stood out to you? You, know, you, you talk about the interesting learning. Um, what was it? Was it about product? Was it about the financing? Was it about the branding? You know, what stood out for you?
0: I think relative to the Tory Burch business, um, you know, one thing in particular is that business was built off one skew. Mm-hmm. And that SKU was the ballet flat slipper. You know, at one point we were selling a million of those, uh, shoes per year. So that equaled 200 million of revenue on a, on a price point of 200 per, per pair of shoes. And we apply that principle today at when we look for businesses that have one very strong hero product that we can build behind. So that was kind of that business. And then two with Chris, you know, I talk about this a decent amount. Now, when I look back, you know, he invested first and foremost in the people and he had a way of psychoanalyzing the founders and getting to know who they were and what they were about. And that to him was much more important than the business they were pitching him and the p of that business. So I think having that understanding and learning and kind of muscle memory for six years and now applying that to businesses that we look at and ultimately founders that we partner with has been very important.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I think I mentioned to, you you know, I do a little bit of a little bit of little investing uh, in early stage businesses. And the thing for me, and I'm not the, you know, the big investor, uh, for me, it's about the founder. you know, maybe I understand the business, maybe I don't, but um, you know if that investor is inquisitive and intense and has some intuition but also has some technical skills, you know if they can sell themselves to me, then'm I'm, I'm in, and, and that's how I've tried to make um, my decisions, and I, you know it's served me relatively well so far
0: absolutely i think regardless of stage i think curiosity and tenacity are so important in this especially in the entrepreneurial space because you have to be curious you have to keep learning you know that's really table stakes to be able to be a founder and a successful founder and the tenacity to just keep moving when things get difficult which they always do uh, super super important
1: you you've talked about the you know when you were at at birch you know your mandate was you know deal sourcing so how how did you deal source you know was it uh, well how how did you
0: so i think i was lucky in that role in the sense that chris as the principal of the fund or the family office he generated a lot of deal flow himself and part of that frankly was being a larger than life character you know he would run into someone that would turn into someone else that would turn into 10 more meetings on the investor side it also helped that we wrote a lot of checks i mean we were writing hundreds of checks per year so you're talking about several checks per week ranging in size but still very active in the space and so what i started to focus on was was narrowing in on segments and verticals that were of focus for us and as an example we started to narrow in on e-commerce uh, very early, and that's ultimately what led me to leave and start my own business with within the e-commerce
1: space. Yeah, that's a, a good segue. I was going to ask you. You know, while you were there, you know, you all these businesses, you know, they develop a thesis for what it is you will invest and how you will invest, and you know what makes it to where you actually write a check. If you think back then, what was the thesis of the business? So
0: we, at that time, as far as our investment thesis, we had to believe in this space from a macro perspective, but really the, the absolute decision was based on the founder because we were investing at an early enough stage where we really wanted to see someone that we believed would be a good shepherd of our capital, no matter what, uh, whether that took Zero pivots or 10 pivots, we felt like this person was going to return our capital. So we spent a lot of time with the entrepreneurs, and usually that was several different sessions to get comfortable with them as, as human beings.
1: And you know, it's a it's a two-way street, you know, that you're giving them your money, but they're also making some decisions if they're lucky about who to take money from. So how did you position, you know, yourself as the one that they should take the money from?
0: Yeah, we were known to be, I would say, very active and very vocal about connectivity. So we were fortunate, given our positioning and and Chris's positioning, to be able to open a lot of doors. And you know, if we had more time, I could go into crazy times and meetings with Kanye West and Lady Gaga, all kinds of kind of celebrity folks that came through the doors at one time or another. You know, any of these businesses within the consumer space part of the effort really is product and execution, but part of the, f- the effort is also access and distribution. And that's really where we could help.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like sitting in Shark Tank, listening to them all talk about, you know, how they can get you on, uh, you know, in, in in a big box store.
0: That's exactly right. Char- Shark Tank is, uh, I watch Shark Tank a lot. Actually, it's good for idea generation. Um, and we've actually, you know, at Win. We've looked at businesses that have actually presented on Shark Tank. I think, you know, it's it's a good representation of what that bridge looks like between folks with good product and good brand ideas, and then the level of, of investor, you know, diligence that sits on the other side. And a lot of the folks that end up walking on and pitching on Shark Tank don't have a lot of the access to the capital that those sharks do. So it's it's a it's a really fascinating show that I enjoy.
1: Before we get to, to win, um, I, I learned something in, in just in the research here. I, I did not realize uh, that you were a, a co-founder in BVA. Um, you know, I've seen Dylan a lot on LinkedIn. Um, you know, then I was reading your bio and, and found that. So uh, tell everybody, what 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 is, what was BVA?
0: Yeah, so BVA is actually what I left Chris Birch to go do. And we were one of the first Shopify agencies. So we were building websites and doing performance marketing for the early Shopify customers. And this is back to 2013. So we met the Shopify founders before they went public. Uh, I remember when they went public at 17 a share. We saw them trading at as high as 1600 a share. 1600. Yep. So got to know them, bet on them. You know, in those days, they didn't do their own agency work. So when they got Kylie Jenner excited to launch Kylie Cosmetics on Shopify, they called us and said, hey, guys, please don't screw this up. This is a big account for us. And we would actually build the website with the client and then oftentimes do performance marketing services. So everyone from Kylie Cosmetics to MVMT watches, Mizzen and Main, Bowl and Branch, Untucket, all the way up to P&G and Red Bull. You know, we were very strong in that space. And I think one of the best things that we decided to do was to focus exclusively on Shopify. Most of our competitors were doing Shopify plus Magento plus Hybris plus Demandware. We we put up a flag and said, we're doing Shopify only. And we're really going to focus on being the best on this platform. The underlying thesis there which i have to give dylan credit for was shopify showed up to really democratize the e-commerce space and the very simple way to think about that is you know open up an app store not dissimilar from the apple app store and allow developers to build assets that could be used and accessible to all the merchants so as a merchant rather than having to spend two months and thirty thousand dollars building a feature set in an app you could literally plug it in overnight and with a thirty dollar payment on a monthly basis have access to that so it's a difference between living on a private island and having to run your own electrical system and network and plumbing versus living in manhattan and just you know signing a lease and being ready to go so you know we got behind it very early I still cannot believe the size and the scale of the business that they built based on where we met them, but really big fans of Shopify and, and continue to be fans of what they're building.
1: Do you have a direct to consumer business? I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. All right. So let's talk about when, uh, how that came, well, maybe uh, describe what it is first, and then you know we'll get into a little bit about how it uh, came to be. Sure. So it's very
0: um, derivative of my time spent at the agency. So we built up BVA Commerce uh, for five years and we sold it to a private equity firm. And, you know, my experience there was, as I mentioned, working with brands like MBMT and Kylie. But the reality was there were tens of others, even hundreds of other businesses with really good brands and really good products that were unable to scale uh, as they should because of operating issues. So the thesis was, could we not build a large team, what I now call a dream team of operators, and then start to plug in the brands and scale those brands together as a shared platform and an operating platform. So you know, we are an omni-channel uh, retail platform today, powering several D2C brands that, that folks would, would know and be aware of. And we manage that via a shared platform and a shared team. So we take founders that are doing something incredibly well we plug it into our shared team and we're able to scale it faster and more efficiently as part of this shared platform
1: and community um, i've been part of uh, four multi-brand uh, businesses you know in my career and um, you know the the concept of rolling brands up businesses up and leveraging the back end you know all makes lots of sense um, unfortunately, a lot of these businesses struggle because one of the reasons they struggle um I- in my opinion is because they can't make up their minds whether they want to be centralized or decentralized and they waver back and forth depending upon personalities within the brands business climate How do you think about that
0: yeah so we i think we take a we have taken a contrarian approach um uh, really from the start, which is you know, we've been, we've been building this consolidation engine in the midst of a massive bull market the last several years. So even the idea of consolidation within this bull market has been contrarian. In addition to that, we centralize, and I think most folks understanding and thought around consolidation is, sure, we'll have the back office consolidated. So finance and legal, that can be a, a shared service we really take things to the next level in the sense that all services are shared services. We are very heavy on the shared side. And so then the brand as the subsidiary, what the brand focuses on is the creative, the community building, the product innovation, really as a solo focus, like that exactly the essence of the brand, that's what we have them focus on. The rest of everything is done as the shared team. So I would say, In comparison, we have much more of our operation managed through the shared team than most other consolidation approaches that I've seen.
1: We hit the uh, names of of some of the brands uh, that make up Win at the top. And I've learned, as I've done my podcast, when you talk to people that have multiple brands, you can't ask them who their favorite is. Um, So I won't do that. But if you think of whichever the last one in was... What was it about that business where you said to yourselves, we've got to have that?
0: I appreciate not, not asking me to choose a favorite, that, that's always tough. <laughs> uh, the last one would be a business called Love Your Melon. So l y Love Your Melon. Uh, two founders, Zach and Brian, who actually started the business as a college project and it took off and it became a success that they never would have imagined. Um, and we met them just about the time that we like to meet founders, which is they'd had you know, incredible success building a business, uh, several tens of millions of dollars of revenue and profitable. But they were struggling with the idea of how to take a Shopify D2C business and expand it to Amazon and expand it to wholesale because you know we know that requires a separate set of skills, a separate team. So you either have to invest in and hire that right team if you can find those folks, or you have to partner with someone like us. We met them right at the time where they were really trying to narrow in and, and fi- figure out that strategy. And the brand itself, I mean, they've created a massive following within the, the broader you know, retail space specific to Hats. You know, they very early on made a decision to be a cause-based brand. So they have given back now nearly $10 million to pediatric cancer charities across the U.S. Um, so tremendous cause, tremendous brand, you know, best in class hats. So for us, what we look for are two things, a category leader, which we had that box checked for us within the you know, broader outdoor and hat category. And then two, our ability to step in and help the business grow, right? Can we actually add value here? Um, And in this case, based on timing and based on this, you know, three channel revenue growth strategy that we deploy, it was very obvious that we could add value in those other two channels.
1: Is the value that you add capital, I mean, only capital, or is there a core competency of, you know, how to make Amazon work, you know, better for you because you've got, you know, digital advertising capabilities, you know, within the team?
0: So we do get a lot of leverage and synergies with the scale that we have, but I would say the value add is really the people. I mean, we have been able to recruit an incredible team of people. So specific to our people running Amazon or our people running our wholesale sales book. I mean, these are best in class talent. So then the question for the brand becomes, would I be able to locate that person? Would I be able to hire that person? If I could, do I wanna invest the resources to do that? And the other option becomes partnering with us. And so I think Brian and Zach were aligned that this was the right time to partner with a larger infrastructure to help tackle these issues.
1: You know, you have businesses that, you know, uh, are founder um, built. Sometimes they have difficulty giving up some of the control to others. They know pragmatically they need to do it because they're not going to be able to achieve the goals that they had. Um, But, you know, it's giving up their baby. How do you navigate that with these folks?
0: It's a great question. I think it's actually, you know, for me that that is our business. I think fortunately for me, I've I've been through it myself. You know, I know what bootstrapping a startup looks like. I did that with my last business. I now know what raising a bunch of money and scaling a business looks like. I'm doing that now with this business. So I can relate to the founders on a very deep level. And, you know, we had a call actually just before this with a company that I'm excited about in the space. You know, we try to have very open and direct conversations with these founders and really give them, you know, my perspective and our perspective on their options. And we are certainly not the only option, but I think we're one very good option for them as they consider their future. And I think for a lot of the founders that we meet with and ultimately partner with, they have a lot of their own personal identity tied into this brand that they care so much about so where it goes forward and the sustainability of the brand matters a tremendous amount, and ultimately they end up trusting us in that path forward in partnership. And you know that's meaningful to us because you know we've been lumped into conversations with other folks within the broader space, Amazon aggregators, a lot of different things happening. You know, I, I was in a, an investor conversation recently where I talked about you know, we may be in the same stadium as those companies, but we're not playing the same game. You know, we are focused on Shopify leading businesses that we can continue to grow sustainably for the next 10 years plus. Um, and that's not going to change.
1: Is it a requirement that they are making money presently for you to take them on?
0: It is. So we, we actually only partner with profitable brands. You know, we, in all cases, have been able to grow them you know, faster and 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 ultimately expand that profitability under partnership with our ownership. But we do need to see that they've been able to make money. You know, I've been saying this for five years plus. But the idea that we're selling products over the internet that you should be making a profit, uh, not everyone agrees with me. But I think in this space, you know, to be sustainable, to have control of your own destiny, you want to be able to do that, and certainly that's a focus for us. So when we get involved in doing the diligence on the brands that we end up getting excited about they've been able to do that and frankly a lot of them have been bootstrapped so they've always had to do that regardless of whether they wanted to or not they didn't have a choice
1: you know in in marketing you know nowadays you know it seems like every month there are changes that happen you know over the last 18 months you know some of it i guess you know um, being contributed to by by COVID, but there's also uh, privacy changes, uh, iOS changes. Um, a lot of these businesses I imagine that are smaller bootstrap businesses were leveraging social paid social and organic social to drive their message. and that whole landscape's changed a lot in the last 18 months. How have you been able to help them you know um, evolve their their marketing skills?
0: So really, it comes down to scale, right? So you need a team that's not only able to do Facebook and Instagram, but also do TikTok and Snapchat, and also expand from Shopify to Amazon and expand from Amazon to wholesale. So the challenge and the job being asked of these entrepreneurs is really unrealistic. There's no amount of time in the day where you're going to be able to figure out all these things for yourself. So, you know, for me, obviously I'm biased, but I think a large percentage of companies that are not, let's say, Allbirds or let's say Warby Parker and have that kind of size and scale, uh, they really should be part of a larger construct where they can plug into these resources, you know, so they don't have to try to build it on their
1: own. Is there kind of a playbook, you know, once they become part of WIN, you know, you kind of have this checklist of the 20 things that you want to, you know, you have a platform, you've constructed it, now we've done it four times, we're doing it a fifth time, these are the things we need to conquer?
0: There is. So there's an integration checklist that we go through uh, that spans, you know, the first six months and then even into 12 months. And that's exactly you know what you'd expect. It's going through each of the revenue channels from e com to Amazon to wholesale. It goes through the backend kind of systems. You know, we we implement systems like NetSuite across our companies to make that flow of information and financial information easier and more trackable. Uh, we consolidate business operations into our partner three PLs. We look at you know both domestic and international. Uh, revenue opportunity. So there's a lot of things depending on where the business is at its own maturity level that we then integrate into our, let's call it our win master plan.
1: You know, you started, I think this business roughly 2017, as Kyle takes a swig of hint Water Uh, Hint founder was also a guest on this podcast uh, uh, very early on. So you've been at it since 2017. You know, five years now. Uh, For the most part, other than you know the the pandemic uh, year uh, or the immediate uh, year from the pandemic, uh, prices have been high. Price, you know, to buy companies. Uh, Seemingly, the last three months, multiples have changed. Is, Is that true? And and if so, how are you dealing with that?
0: yeah, I think uh, listen, we we built this, you know, call it efficient operating system and and consolidation play within a bull market. So you know the fact that we've been able to uh, more or less double every year since we started it, you know, is a testament to the fact that I think it's a validation that it that it works and it's necessary in the space. That said, to your question on on pricing, you know certainly now in june of of twenty twenty two, The last three months have been a lot tighter than the 12 and 18 and 24 months before that, there is a lag. I would say conversations that are happening today, uh, the tone has changed a little bit and mainly because there's less uh, free capital flowing into this broader D 2 C space. So for those that are not sitting on a ton of cash, they're really trying to figure out, you know, how to build those reserves. And I think, you know, in some cases, that'll still come from outside capital um, as private investment. And in other cases, that'll be, again, joining a larger enterprise, you know, there are other folks consolidating in the space. uh, Besides us, you know, we have, we end up focusing on larger established branded businesses. But there are other folks, competitors, even within our own space that are looking at smaller businesses, as an example to consolidate as well. So I think, you know, there's a lot of options out there today for entrepreneurs. I think the advice that we end up giving folks is, look, you know, try to make sure that you're set up sustainably for the longer term. And we're looking at that in a two-year outlook and making sure that we have runway and access to capital to manage the business for that two-year period in case things end up getting a bit more compressed over the next 12, 18 months.
1: Got it. Good stuff. Great story. Really uh, interesting uh, uh, background, and you know I love what you're doing uh, with with Win. So uh, thank you. So we get to the end of the show here. Um, we do a two minute drill. Uh, seven questions, one or two word answers. Uh, I always say nobody ever gives me one or two word answers, but um, I always say that, and then. The guest is the guest. I let them say whatever they like. You ready? Sure. All right. A brand that you admire or that inspires you?
0: I'm going to go back to history on that. I'm going to go back to to Tory Burch. I think incredible growth story, incredible business that I was able to have a front row view.
1: Favorite app on your phone?
0: I'm going to go with Calm. I use a, a daily meditation on Calm. That's fantastic.
1: Okay, I might have to hit you up and find out which one that is. But every time I I do uh, meditation, I can't wait for it to be over. (laughs) (laughs) The last website other than Amazon that you shopped from?
0: Easy, homesick.com.
1: Something that you're not good at, but that you wish that you were?
0: I'm terrible at planning. I'm more of a go-with-the-flow, kind of high-level person. So fortunately, my wife is, is great at planning, and she helps me stay alive.
1: The yin and the yang. Charitable organization that you're passionate about. I mean, because it's
0: fresh in mind, and we've, we've really leaned into this, the, the, the work that Love Your Melon has done on pediatric cancer, and this is across hospitals and charities, uh, has been remarkable. So that, that's been a focus for me.
1: That's great. If you had one superpower, what would it be?
0: So I think this is a combo of how I was raised and then working with, with Chris Birch for a long time. But ultimately, I would say my superpower is tenacity. Just finding a way, no matter what that path is, to get it done.
1: And the last one is, you know, other than your family, what's your most prized possession?
0: So we have a small um, lake cottage up in the Adirondacks where I was raised. And going up there for a couple of weeks in the summer, which we plan to do every August is such a gift. So I think just having access to that special place in that little cabin is, is my most non-family prized possession. I was gonna say my dog Gibson, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna lump him in with family.
1: Family, yeah, everybody puts their dog in with their family, I, I get that. Uh, Kyle, where can people reach out to you on social media if they would like to?
0: So social media, uh, as far as handle, at Kyle Widrick, K-Y-L-E-W-I-D-R-I-C-K. I -I Um, I love chatting with founders. So if there's any founders out there that want to chat about their business, it is kyle at winbg.com as far as my email.
1: Okay, that's great. Well, look, uh, good success uh, to you. Thanks very much uh, for the time and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Enjoyed it.
1: That's it. Today's game ball goes to Kyle Widrick for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, plan for the future. As the economy is now apparently moving into a downturn, it's a good lesson for brands to realize that you must have a plan for when things get tougher. Be sure you understand where you can be more conservative so you can weather the storm. Number two, we heard Kyle say everything's more difficult than you think it will be when you start a business. Establish your playbook up front, but be flexible as your results and market conditions can change. And number three, invest in people. We've heard it before. In order to keep good people, you have to do more than just pay them, educate them, mentor them, demonstrate to them that you're not afraid to get them better at their jobs on your dime. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at detailsinteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details.